Other wrestling podcasts are full of fake wannabes. That's the bottom line, because the jabroni said suck it at Suplex City, bitch. We provide you with the true fan experience. You just made the list! TMA Studios. It's what you want. Christian Fury, and we have got a lot to talk about tonight, but I can't do it alone. I'm going to bring in my co-host, my tag team partner, straight from the shootout that we've been burning it up, shooting, lining up the targets and laying them out. I'm talking about the survivor of pain, Bill Blanchard. Hey, Bill, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you as my co-host for WLW. We love wrestling. Well, thank you very much, good old buddy. I'm glad to be here on the WOW, the Wrestling Podcast Network's second to only to the Wrestling Shootout. Yes, I am here on the WOW Podcast. We're going to be talking about anything and everything with professional wrestling. My understanding, we're going to be talking about old school NWA. If you're a big fan of NWA, just like I am, we're going to enjoy some great conversation, not just with the NWA, World Championship Wrestling. We're going to hit a little bit of TNA and Extreme Championship Wrestling and even the WWE, or we like to call it still the WWF, the old school era and the golden area of professional wrestling. Man, I tell you what, man, you sound very animated tonight, man. You doing all right? Oh, man, I'm doing great, man. I've got me a nice Dr. Pepper sitting in front of me. I'm ready to rock and roll. i got this uh, cell phone in my hand glued, ready to unload and do this podcast right from the start. This is our first show. We've tried to do this many times. As a matter of fact, we even accomplished a few episodes way back when, when uh, Chris Dickens was a part of the show. We had a, quite a few shows then. But you know what? This is starting over fresh. We're starting over with clean slate. So right now, tonight, we're not just going to make topics. We're not going to just call it for what it is on these shows. We're actually going to name our shows. And tonight's show is no different. I know it's our pilot episode, but tonight is every man for himself. Yeah, man, I'm fired up. Every man for himself. You know, we got me talking about the Royal Rumble, in my opinion. Probably one of the most greatest most genius ideas in professional wrestling. You know, you start start things out with just two men, and then every two minutes, 
or in some cases a minute and a half, or even some cases every 60 seconds. I mean, 60 seconds, excuse me. You know, a new uh, a new individual entered a ring until all 30 have entered. And, man, I, I tell you what, man, it was probably, probably one of my most favorite matches of all time because you never know who you're going to see. And to me, that was always the most exciting thing about it. You just never know who was going to match up. I've really been the model Rick Martell against Ryder Ryder Piper or Greg Hammer Valentine in the Texas Tornado or the Warlord and Andre the Giant, you know, or even Axe versus Smash, you know. I mean, you'll see tag team partners, even brothers could collide. Best of friends could collide. Or even you'll see heels versus heels. And at, at, at one point in wrestling, it was unheard of to see a heel face a heel. But got no friends, got no foes. It's every man for himself. And to me, I always got so excited. Any type of rumble, man, because, you know, man, the, the possibilities are endless, man. And I'm very excited. I can't wait to talk about this tonight. But, man, my friend, my understanding is we got some other issues to talk about, man. What we got What we got on the barbecue tonight? Well, unfortunately, you know, I want to start off on a little bit of a somber note. You know, today we saw the recent passing of probably one of the one of the best uh, ring announcers we had, especially growing up. He caught a lot of great matches growing up for us. You know, I'm talking about Howard Finkel. He I just got word that he had passed away at some point today or yesterday. But news broke of it on WWE.com. And I want to send my condolences out to his family and friends and all. And, and I hope that uh, they can get through this trying time. Um <clears throat> But man, I I loved hearing him ring announce. I mean, to me, there for a long time he was WWF. You know, he was the guy that you want to call on the shots when it came time for a, a main event to be announced or or a match at the Madison Square Garden. You know, the big fight feel. You know, uh, uh, great memories from old Finkster. Well, I got I got to tell you something, man. Um. Unlike any other announcer, um, ring announcer, that is, he was probably the longest consecutive with no interruptions. I mean, from the 80s to the 90s, even the early 2000s. I mean, Howard Finkel, you know, I mean, yeah, I remember me, man. 1989 was probably one of my favorite years in professional wrestling. You know, I mean, when you're hearing Jesse the Bifantor and Grill Monsoon already arguing at the beginning of the show, you hear Jesse says, let's go to the Fink. You know, it's it's Howard Finkel. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest is scheduled for one fall, and it's for the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Championship. And the crowd would just get so excited. You know, I mean, dude, I want to tell you my favorite funniest moment, and I felt so bad for Howard Finkel. And Speaking of 1989, WrestleMania 5, the mega powers explode, right? One of the featured matches of that pay-per-view was ravishing Rick Rude, challenging the ultimate warrior for the Intercontinental Championship. Well, if you remember, when Rick Rude was going to go for a suplex, he was going to try to suplex Rick Rude back into the ring. And as he goes to lift him up, Bobby Heaton goes and trips the warrior, Whole Warrior's foot down, right? And the referee for the one, the two, for the three, right? Rick Rude wins the Intercontinental title. Whereas Warrior is climbing out of the ring, tasting Bobby the Brain hitting, and he's right around the corner, getting ready to pass out of Finkel. And Finkel says, Ladies and gentlemen, the winner is now! 
Intercontinental Champion. Sometimes I wonder if he do this on purpose. Because right when the if you watch the cameras closely, right, I tell everybody watch watch this match if I'm different. As soon as the Warriors walking right past the thing, right toward the thing, the face home and looking right at the water, and no! Intercontinental Champion right in the Warriors' face. The Warriors were trying to get the Bobby the Brain. I said, oh no, Howard. I thought Warrior was going to a slam hill. We're screaming, no! World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion, you know? And I tell you something, man. You know, a lot of wrestlers said that was their crowning moment when you hear Howard Finkel would announce them and he would make it special. And, and not just a championship, make any kind of matchup. Any kind of match on pay-per-view or whether it's a house show. He tried to make every match as special as he could when he even introduced someone, whether it was a babyface, whether it was a heel. And in my opinion, that's going to be his legacy. We're trying to make every match special when he would introduce them. I mean, in my opinion, he's more big to me. Howard Finkel will always be more bigger than Michael Buffer. And no disrespect to Michael Buffer, probably one of the greatest announcers in all combat sports. But Howard Finkel the Fink was the ring announcer in the WWF and WWE. That's just my opinion, boss man. And there's no argument here. God bless hey, him. If I, can say, if I can say one last thing, if I can say one last thing, you know, to the Howard Finkel family and all wrestling fans out there, I want everybody to know, Howard Finkel, thank you for my childhood, man. You made it a blessing. Thank you. May you rest in peace and God bless you. And we go on to another somber note that um, I think you were telling me about this earlier today about Barry Windham, um, where he yeah. possibly had a or a heart attack. Yeah, stroke and a heart attack is what the uh, well, I mean, it's it's on the wrestling seventy eighties and nineties Facebook fan page. Uh, they were talking about it, a big picture of Barry Windham saying that he had suffered a heart attack and a stroke. You know, he's in very very. Uh, Critical condition. Don't know if he's out of the woods just yet. That hasn't been updated yet. And I don't yet know if he's out of the woods. But, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with Barry Wyndham and the Wyndham family. You know, Barry's had a very interesting career, a very tough career in the tough and in the wrestling business, you know, you know, with his family, with his father and his brothers, you know. Uh, Barry, you know, man, had an up and down career with not just NWA and WCW, even the WF. You know, he had a couple really weird gimmicks which is kind of weird you know i don't even know if you knew this you know i knew it because i watched it rusty back then but you know when he when he's making his debut in the wwf i think it was like they're calling him the widow maker right the, yeah, then, the like, widow years, maker. yeah the widow maker then years later he come back was it a stalker or something like that am so, i wrong on that he had another weird gimmick in the wwf like i said you know and i know he got to do with the the new the new jacks you know the, the black jacks in 1997, him and Bradshaw, I think they were, and they tried it again. You know, but, you know, I, I've always liked Barry Wendell, man. i tell you something, man. You know, he, you know, people talk, I'm not trying to disrespect Rocky Run and Garvin in 1997, but a lot of people felt like, you know, Barry Wendell should have had one good chance to win that belt. They probably would have drawn more money. He probably had did better business if Barry Wendell had defeated Ric Flair in 1987. Maybe he should have been given an opportunity you know, the time frame when Barry Windham won it, because like in 86, and even in 85, man, I've seen Barry Windham and Ric Flair really throw down some great classic matches. And then, and like I said, I, I still enjoyed the Ronnie Garvin matches and Ric Flair, and I know we'll talk about that at another time. But, you know, I, I remember um, one of my favorite members of Barry Windham. Uh, let's talk about um, Starcade in you know, 1992. 
you know, him and the Great Muda are like one of the finals in there. And you know, Great Muda did eliminate Barry Windham out of that match, you know. But this is a time frame Barry Windham was starting to get his push a little bit, you know. When when Great Muda won the Battle Bowl in 1992, and shortly after he became the NWA Heavyweight Champion, so. Wyndham got locked in a few with the Great Muda and had a wonderful matchup. And Ric Flair was special guest at Super Brawl 3. It was at ringside. I was watching this live in Asheville, North Carolina. You know, very, very, very popular wrestling town back then. And uh, it still is today, I think. But anyways, Barry Wyndham defeated the Great Muda and becoming the NWA Heavyweight Champion. Finally, you know, some would call it maybe six years too late. You know, because he wasn't that same Barry Wyndham in 1986 and 1987 time frame. But, you know, at the same time, I was still happy. And I was still glad to see Wyndham won that belt. And then he'd go on and drop it to, um, to Ric Flair. But before he did that, uh, the next pay-per-view, Slam Parade 93, had a great, great matchup with Double A on Anderson, man. Classic match. So if you haven't seen it, man, you need to go out your way and check that match out, man. But God bless Barry Wyndham and his family. We pray you have a speed recovery, Barry. We hope you get well and thank you for everything you've done in professional wrestling now moving on to some cuts i know recently wwe's been in the news about doing a lot of cutbacks on our rosters you know i mean some surprising and some not so surprising uh, on that list uh, there's 15 names i'm not going to go through them all but the ones that stood up stood out to me was your olympic gold medalist kurt angle um Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, the OC, um, Rusev, and a referee got cut, Mike Kyoto. Mm. Now, the referee was kind of a shocker because Mike Kyoto has been with the company for years, refing, calling actions. But, you know, Kurt Angle, we can debate whether if it was a surprise or not, but. I mean, he was pretty much done with his in-ring portion of it. He got inducted into the Hall of Fame. He got to wrestle his last match under the WWE banner. I mean, you can't really can't really sneeze at what Kurt Angle was able to do that last little stint he was with the company. Um, but as far as, like, Rusev, I mean, he ca- they had him come on strong, pour on coals. He freaking had a good thing going with uh, Rusev Day. He was getting crowd involvement. He was getting a damn good following, and then they put him in a bullshit story. I don't know what the story was backstage because it had to be some sort of punishment for Rusev. But either way, you know, he's gone. He might have a future. Bobby Lashley, too. Who knows? Yeah, he might be next because right now, I mean, we've talked about, you know, Vince is struggling right now because he just – reopened the XFL on for it to shut down because of this coronavirus. His first season back in 20 years. Man, oh, it's getting man. shut this time because of the coronavirus. So his season was interrupted. So this was the be-all break-all for the XFL. And I heard it was actually doing pretty good this go-around until this. Well, you know? Well, I mean, the XFL, I mean, you know, yeah, I think it was trying to reestablish itself. Still, the football fans we're not getting behind it. I mean, like I said, if you ever notice, the cameras are not really trying to show the crowds. I mean, the crowd attendance sucked, but at the same time, they weren't making their money from the crowd. They're trying to get it from the network. And they had so many millions of dollars to try to work it out for a three-year deal to hopefully get a fan reaction. And it had potential. 
You know, it had potential. I was wanting to give the XFL a good, honest chance. Because you got to think about it, though. If you're, if you're a college football man, hell, not even college. Talk about, let's talk about high school. You know, you, okay, where are the odds are you going to be at the NFL? Okay. It's going to be hard to try to get onto a good college football team, right? If you're that good. Right. You're a good college football team. And it's even harder to try to get in the NFL. This gave football players still a chance to live out their dream to continue to play football and make a good living doing it. If you couldn't make it to the NFL, you might have a chance at the XFL. And the XFL did have a potential. Could it be one day top the NFL? I mean, it wouldn't happen anytime soon, not in the next 10 years, but it had potential. It could have gone somewhere. But unfortunately, you know, because this Corona-19, it just it just didn't work out. Vince lost a lot of money, which now it's affecting his wrestling company. You know, and then he made, in my opinion, made a mistake by trying to entertain us for WrestleMania. You know, you didn't make squat from that, you know, and I mean, damn, dude. So, yeah, I mean, the budget cuts, uh, Jay, did not surprise me at all. It, it really didn't. You, you almost had expected every year at WrestleMania, right after WrestleMania, you're going to see some talent get let go. It hasn't been that many in a long time since probably, I want to say, between 92 and 93, especially 93 era going to 94 because the whole steroid scandal. The Russell business was down, and obviously Vince can't afford to pay everybody. Yeah, so he did saw a lot of names leave. You know, so I'm not that surprised right after WrestleMania you saw a bunch of them leave. But let's face it, if you're not making the profits, if you're not making the money, and there's no money to pay everybody, what are you supposed to do? He's got to cut costs where he can cut costs. You know, and, and you mentioned, you know, uh, Kurt Angle and some of the others. I mean, Kurt has done everything he can humanly possibly do. He can't do anymore, in my opinion. I mean, I think you've been great for a road agent. I think you've been a good uh, instructor for some of the talent. But, again, can't afford everyone's contracts, you know. I mean, hopefully, maybe we'll see Kurt in AEW in the future. I mean, you never know. Hopefully, Kurt will go home and just spend time with his wife and kids. And then, you know, maybe he can still do something, you know, when this virus is over. I don't know. You know, but as far as everybody else losing their jobs, I mean, man, it's happened all over the world. It's happened all over the country. You know, it's, it's just sad, man. I mean, like I said, you know, my wife, she, you know, my wife and my wife's uh, manager got laid off from their company. You know, we're shutting down, and I know we, I knew me and you both know a personal friend who's biting his teeth right now because if business don't pick back up, he can lose his job, and it's just, man, it just sucks right now. It's it's probably one of the most worst depressing times, and gosh, probably in the last hundred years, man. I mean, it's really if you ever can you think of anything that, sh- that really stopped the whole world. Including even expecting that WWE what we grow up and love, you know. I mean, if you think about it, this is kind of like our version of the depression right now. You know, yeah. I mean, the stock hasn't crashed yet, but it's fluttering. You know, um, but uh, kind of like that. This when the depression hit between World War One and World War Two, you know, it's pretty much what this closely resembles right now. And of course, I think it's more political than anything. Well, in my opinion, the results may vary, but we can right. talk about We're going to be talking about other things. Let's get to the good subject. All right, enough with the uh, – we've talked about the depressing stuff and the, and the sad stuff. Let's go ahead and talk about some good old-fashioned wrestling. Let's jump right into this Royal Rumble. Survivor Payne, please give the concept of the Royal Rumble so everybody at home that has not ever watched it or – Still kind of figuring out how this stuff works. Explain the Royal Rumble. 
Well, hopefully people listening to this podcast have seen wrestling before. <laughs> Why else would you listen to We Love Wrestling? <laughs> but then again, you never know. All right, that being said, let's break it down. Let's break let's break it down right now. The Royal Rumble, the original concept was created by a Hall of Famer, the first ever World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion and wrestling genius, Pat Patterson. Pat Patterson had this idea, you know, run it by Vince. Vince thought it was a silly idea, but Okay, Vince, if it sounds like this, if it sounds like this, Vince, it sounds like this, Vince, let's, um, it's, 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 instead of a battle royal where you have everybody in the ring, Vince, this is what you want to do. You start out with two, right? Then every two minutes, a new individual comes out there until all 20 men have entered. God damn, Pat, that sounds stupid. You know, well, then the USA Network wants something new on the network. You know, oh, Pat, go tell me your idea and let's see if they like it. Hell, hell, from what I'm told, the USA Network loved it. And it aired. It aired in January 1988. And and to me, what was special about that event, they had to get something special for that show because that was the same night the famous contract signing took place between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, the rematch from WrestleMania 3. And it was going to take place in a very, very uh, special main event. Not a Saturday night's main event, but the main event will take place um, a month later on a Friday night on NBC Network Special. So they advertise it right here at the very first ever Royal Rumble event, which took place January 24th, 1988 in Hamilton. Oh my God, I can't pronounce this city. Owen Terrio. Oh, forgive me, folks. I went to Harlem High School, but the venue was Cobb's Coliseum. <laughs> anyways, anyways, ironically enough, the very first entry to the Royal Rumble himself, the very first man entered was none other than WWE Hall of Famer, future WWE, not only Intercontinental Tag Team, but WWF Champion, Bret the Hitman Hart. He was the first guy to enter this match. But ironically, the man who has never, ever won a world championship in World Wrestling Federation Entertainment or even World Championship Wrestling or the NWA, for that matter. I'm talking about another but one of the greatest American wrestlers of all time and WWE Hall of Famer, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, he actually entered the Rumble at number 13. Unlucky number 13 and to win the first ever Rumble. And the one-man gang was the last one in the ring with him. You know, Duggan dropped that rope, one man game eliminated, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan starts it off. He wins a very first ever Royal Rumble, but at that time, it was just 20 WWF superstars. Now, a year later, let's, let's take it up a notch, and we're going to put it on pay-per-view. Royal Rumble. 1989, which took place January 15, 1989, in Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas is a very, very famous city. We all know about brotherly love, Bruce Pritchard. That's where he got started from in Houston wrestling. But anyways, on this same night, January 15, 1989, another Hall of Famer, another Hall of Famer, which did absolutely um, nothing in the business other than being Andre the Giant's biggest Biggest um, adversary. <laughs> I'm talking about Big John Stud. Big John Stud enters at, at number 27. Now, number 27 is a lot of numbers. Uh, guys have won at 27. Big John Stud wins it tonight, but does absolutely nothing for nothing else. Yeah. But the concept of the Royal Rumble is plain and simple. 
two minute enter the ring every two minutes or every 30 seconds or 60 seconds a new man would enter or in some cases a minute and a half but to be honest with you man a lot of times the timekeepers weren't really paying attention to the clock which is to arrest to go out there and go until all 30 have entered Uh, we've had twenty man Royal Rumble, a twenty man Royal Rumble. We had a thirty man Royal Rumble, and we even had a forty man Royal Rumble. And if you want to count uh, what happened in Saudi Arabia, I think there was it was another forty Royal Rumble, wasn't it, or was it fifty? They tried to top it the greatest Royal Rumble or great whatever, whatever it was. The first show they did in Saudi Arabia. But anyway, let's actually keep it with the actual Royal Rumble event. Now, Royal Rumble, yeah. we've seen like, guys, two Pete, three Pete. I'm good, boss. So who? <laughs> okay, then. Um, I, had a so, I, had a surprise, I had a surprise entry into the Rumble. Oh, uh, got you. But anyway, speaking of the Rumble, um, who was the first person to win a second Royal Rumble event. The first person to win the second Royal Rumble event? Like when the first Who guy went to Rumble? First person, right, to win it twice. Oh, Hulk Hogan won it in 1990 and 1991. And this is, if I, my calculations are correct, this is still when he was still the World Wrestling Federation champion. Well, in 1990. You know, Nineteen ninety, he was he was the Royal State Federation champion. Ninety one, you know, that was the year Sergeant Slaughter defeated the Ultimate Puke with the aid of the Macho uh, King Randy Savage. But yeah, Hulk Hogan was a challenger in ninety one. But nineteen ninety itself, you know, hey man, let's talk about nineteen ninety Warrior Rumble if you would. Like 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 I was saying at the beginning of the show here, when it's, this what this is was probably well, I mean, granted, you you, you knew it in eighty nine as well because you saw Hogan and Savage cross paths, you saw Axe and Smash fought each other. But to me, nineteen ninety Warrior Rumble, man, it's a special place in my heart, man. But you know, I remember. Jumping up and down, screaming and hollering like 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 the Million Dollar Man was our first guy in the ring. And Million Dollar Man had some serious heat back in those days. And then you know, six months prior to that, in '89, you know, he ended Jake the Snake Roberts' career. You know, you know, Jake the Snake was he had came back at Survivor Series '89 and still wanting to get his hands on DiBiase, but now he has an opportunity to get his hands on because in the Warrior Rumble, it's every man for himself. You don't know what's going to happen. But with DBS was the first guy in the ring, number two was Coco Beware. And then number three was DBS throws him out. This third guy was Marty Janae of the Rockers. DBS throws him out. But number four was Jake the Snake Roberts. Man, the crowd erupted. The crowd just exploded here in Jake's music. And DBS is like, oh, man. Man, again, like I said, a possible dream match at the time. Main event anywhere in the country. Million Dollar Man, one-on-one with Jake the Snake. Man, those guys would go at it. You know, well, on the same night, the same night, now we saw other specialty matches up, not just with, you know, Demolition and Colossal Connection and the Powers of Pain. You got to see Andre the Giant. It gets a big powerhouse, the Warlord. Man, you never saw that nowhere else. But when the Warlord bumped into Andre, Andre turned around and just figured through Warlord. It made it look easy, I might add. And Warlord was no slash, man. Warlord was no the big powerhouse, man. But against Andre the Giant, he looked like Ray Mysterio Jr., man. That's no lie. Just 
easily through Warlord right out. But I gotta say this, man. I saw Roddy Roddy Piper collab with Bad News Brown. Fist fight, fist fight. They both eliminated each other and they're fighting all the way to the back. And then when the Ultimate Warrior came out in the ring, and he was actually one eliminated million dollar man. You know, Mean Dog Man stayed in almost at the very, very end. By the time the 21st guy got out there, that's when uh, Warrior eliminated the Mean Dollar Man. And then when number 25 hit, Hulk Hogan came out of the ring. And Hogan and Warrior cleared house. Now, for the first time, we're going to see two baby faces on the WWF. Now, you might have seen it in the NWA, and we did at Future Shock, Star K89. But here we are in Orlando, Florida, for the first time ever. Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. But bigger than that, the World Wrestling Federation champion, Hulk Hogan, and the Intercontinental champion, the Ultimate Warrior, face to face. My God, could you feel the goosebumps and electricity in the air on that one when those two colossal forces collide? I mean, damn. I mean, to me, that's what made the Royal Rumble special because it's every man for himself. You don't know who was going to collide. And that day, like I said, man, like I said, Hogan and Warrior at that time was a big deal, man. Yeah, that hadn't been seen before at that point in time. Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, which led to an epic match at WrestleMania 6. The Ultimate Challenge. Hogan. Oh, boy, I tell you, though, out of that match right there, I was still a Hulkamaniac. I wasn't quite ready to drop down, the, uh, drop the red and yellow and get on board with Ultimate Warrior. I liked Warrior, but I was still I, I, a I, Warrior. I was, you know, I was a Warrior fan, and then, you know, I saw him collide with Rick Rude at SummerSlam 89, the rematch they had. And, you know, I was still kind of pulling for War, but that time went no one better than Hulk Hogan. Seeing the Warrior was going to challenge Hulk Hogan, I was a star craving Hulk Maniac, brother. There's no way I was going to pull against him. You know, at that time, like I said, man, I remember being in school, man, the battle lines are drawn. You're, you're either a Warrior or a Hulk Maniac, man. He couldn't be both. You know, everybody who thought had their pick, who thought was going to win. <laughs> I never dreamed in a million years Hulk Hogan would got his shoulders pinned one, two, three in a clean finish, you know? Mm-hmm. But it happened. Now, speaking of the Rumble, we've seen some some great matchups. We've seen some fantasy warfare we just touched on. But we also seen some, did you just see that? You know, people avoiding being eliminated. You had people like Jay the King Lawler that would hop around ringside forever in a day (laughs) after you thought was thrown out because the rule state, you have to be thrown over the top rope and both feet touched the floor to be eliminated. He landed on one foot on the outside, and he hopped around the ring. Now, people well, call hell, he, did, he, did, he did one more thing. But he, did, he did one more thing to that, too. He decided on one foot. At one point, he crawled under the ring. And he kept sticking his head out, you know? And he, said, hey, he was trying to hide way to the very last <laughs> That was 1996, if I remember correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and if I remember correctly, it was Brett the Hitman Hart that stomped on his other foot to make him put his second foot down. <laughs> I think that actually happened. Uh, that was in, God, man, what year was that? Is Brett getting competing in the Rumble? 
You know, he might be defending one of his belts that day. He just happened to show up because he stomped on the other foot, you know. But that one year, 96, he had it in the ring. Shawn Michaels uh, ended up finding him and dragging him out through back in the ring. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, give Jerry credit, man. He tried, you know. <laughs> hey, you know, hey, hey, let me ask you this question. Now, you want to talk about, could you believe you didn't see this one? You know, what about, okay, here's my thing, you know. The idea to win a match like the Rumble, if you are so big, if you are so huge, ain't no one man's going to pick you up. Will it be every man for himself? Sometimes you'll see alliance forms, and alliance end quickly. Did you catch? Now, this happened a few times. It, it didn't always work. But can you imagine how many guys it took to eliminate the earthquake? A 450-pound monster earthquake. In this time period, he was literally unstoppable. Yeah, you know how many guys it took? The biggest guy on the roster for a long time was Earthquake. You know, um, until Typhoon, and then it was kind of, kind of iffy on which one at that point in time. Earthquake was. Uh, earthquake was. Earthquake was bigger. He's bigger than Typhoon. But no, no, no. At the 1990 Royal Rumble, how many guys did it take to eliminate the earthquake? Just give me a number. Uh, 13. <laughs> no. Five. It took five guys. First, it started with two. They called more help. And Jimmy Sticker, when that guy the earthquake, he lifted them up. You know, then you have a few other guys. It took a total of five guys. To eventually get the Burke earthquake out, right? Now, now keep this in mind. I mentioned this, right? It took five guys to get rid of the earthquake. Now, granted, you see in some other battle royals, and you see something similar to happen. Andre the Giant, where everybody in the ring had to work together. And then I remember 1994, um, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, who eliminated like seven people almost in a row. That was impressive. When, when the ring started filling out with wrestlers again, same thing. It took five guys to work together to eliminate the seven-foot monster. But it didn't always work. It did not always work. Now, Christian Fury, my dear good friend, riddle me this. What big wrestler, a gigantic wrestler, no matter how many guys it took, could not lift this monster up and eliminate him. Yokozuna. You got it. Banzai! 1993 Royal Rumble winner Yokozuna at this point was crushing everybody by storm. And speaking of earthquake, Yokozuna by himself lifted the big earthquake up and threw him over the top rope. Eliminates the earthquake by himself. Literally picked up this man. What strength that Yokozuna have, man. He was a grand champion. Well, he was built as a grand champion similar wrestler, but, you know, he's really a Samoan. He's a Hawaiian, you know, related to the related to the Usos, related to all the, uh, the Samoans, related to the Rock, you know. Hey, God bless that family, you know. Well, Yokozuna was a big, massive monster. Well, this night, five, six, seven, eight, ten guys were struggling. Yokozuna was just kind of like just laying there on the road, just, just, just became dead weight. Everybody together could not lift Yokozuna up. And ironically, Yokozuna did end up winning that Royal Rumble because nobody could eliminate the man. Now, that's a, that was impressive back then in 1993. As a matter of fact, that was the first time in Royal Rumble history that being that big had its advantage. 
Because a lot of times it becomes a disadvantage. You think that's the biggest dog in the fight, but in the Royal Rumble, that's not always a good thing. But it just so happened on that night, it was the best thing because Yokozuna survived. Um, and that was pretty cool. Now, hey, now, now let's talk about this here, boss man. Speaking of Royal Rumble winners, you know, in the first beginning of the Royal Rumble, it was always like some big man. You know, let's face it, Hacksaw Jim Duggan was considered a big man. He wasn't a skinny guy. He was a big brawler, if you would. Big John Stud, Andre the Giant's nemesis, but Big John Stud was built six foot eight, you know, over three hundred fifty pounds. He was a monster. Hulk Hogan was built six foot seven, six foot eight, three hundred pounds. He wins in nineteen ninety. Wins in nineteen ninety one. Now Gorilla Monsoon says, "Y'all heard Gorilla Monsoon says." Bro, hot rod, say what you want. None of these guys in my book could win an event like this. Looking at the 1991 Royal Rumble, he said that about Bret Hart and Gino Bravo. Those are the first two guys to enter the Rumble, right? And you had some guys that set some serious records. Rick Martell was in it for over 50 minutes. Diviasi over 50 minutes. Greg Valentine was like 49 minutes, right? But Greg Monsoon says there's no way in the world those type of guys could never win an event like this. Well, you know what? At the time, he was the seven-time NWA slash WCW World's Champion. The real World's Champion, Ric Flair, woo, entered number three in the 1992 Royal Rumble. And it was for, this special Royal Rumble match was also for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Now, considering all the talent, I mean, there are a lot of strong guys. I mean, from the Legion of Doom. Let's talk about The Undertaker, the Texas Tornado, the British Bulldog, Debbie Boy Smith, the Big Boss Man, Haku, Sid Justice, The Undertaker, and Hulk Hogan, the Macho Man, and Roddy, Roddy Piper. All those guys in the Rumble. But Nature Boy Ric Flair entered the Rumble at number three. Now, man, let me tell you something. Watching Ric Flair, how many times have you seen guys like Sting and Lex Luger pick Ric Flair up overhead and slam him? How many times have you see Barry Windham or Ricky Morton, Rocket Express, closed on 360 Ric Flair over the top rope and onto the floor? How many times have you see someone Irish Rick Ric Flair and he flips over the top rope and falls down to the floor? You know what I'm saying? I have seen Flair get thrown through the ring so many freaking times. Ain't no way in hell Ric Flair was going to win this event. I bet the house. I bet the cars. I bet the money. I mean, yes, one-on-one. I would never bet against Ric Flair. But in this type of situation, all you got to do is pick up them over the top row. Man, anybody could have done it. Even Virgil was in there. He could have done it. I mean, Nate the Snake was in that rumble. He could have done it. I mean, a clothesline, a big boot. He just pick him up and toss him over. Ric Flair was not a big man. Okay? He was known, he was not known for a powerhouse. He wasn't seven foot seven. No, he was Nate. Anybody could have picked him up. He was 220-something pounds, 230-something pound man. You know, it was it would have been hard. But then what happened, man? What happened, Jay? The unthinkable happened. The unthinkable happened. Hokaminia did not prevail. Roddy Piper did not prevail. Savage did not win. The Undertaker, you know, could not do it. As big and strong as Sid Justice was, a new sensation to the WWF, if you would, and former member of the Four Horsemen, 
could not do it. Ric Flair, even if Gorilla Monsoon says Ric Flair could not do it. No way in hell. No one's ever been past number six, have made it to the end. Ric Flair at number three made it all the way to the end and eliminated five, five WWE superstars and survived all that main event talent that made the WWF rich in the first place. Nature Boy Ric Flair, who was Broom, one of the greatest champions in the NWA and WCW at the time, proclaiming to be the real world champion, just defeated all of your top talent. Unheard of in wrestling, period, to this day. Because no one other than Ric Flair to this day has stepped foot in the WWF, slaps one of your big main event guys in the face, referring to Roddy Roddy Piper, you know what I'm saying? Looks at Hulk Hogan in the face, lets him know right now who the real champ is. And on that day where it counted the most to prove who is the man in professional wrestling in 1992, Nature Boy Ric Flair with a tear in his eye, proven that day. Who demand, and he did it in one of the greatest matches of all time, the Royal Rumble. Ric Flair defeated 29 of the best WWF superstars, and he walked out the World Wrestling Federation champion. Now, can you argue that, Fury? Woo! It's not being fair to Flair, in the words of the late great Bobby Heenan. That's not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> oh, Bobby LeBrain Heenan stole that so well. He he was on pins and needles because he didn't know who was who. When the first guy come out, he was like, "Ooh, it's not Flair, it's not Flair." And the second one come out, "Oh, good, it's not Flair." And then when the third one come out, and it was Ric Flair. Oh no, that's not fair to Flair. That's not fair to Flair. Oh. And then every time a good guy would come up and somewhat kind of help out Ric Flair, he would start talking good about him all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. You know all those mean things? I didn't mean them. I didn't mean them. That's not a dress. That's a kilt. That's a kilt. And as soon as he talked <laughs> script on fire, oh, oh, forget what I said. That's not a kilt. That's a skirt. That's a skirt. <laughs> You're wearing a dress. <laughs> oh. Do you know? Do you know? Bobby the Brain says that was the greatest match he ever called in professional wrestling. Made it matches him and Gorilla Monsoon and Tony Schiavone have called over the years. That match right there, he says in, in, in his documentary. If you uh, get the Bobby the Brain DVD, he said they said about that him, and that's on the uh, extras. It's one of the matches the Brain called. He said that's his favorite match. The greatest match he ever called was a 1992 Warrior Rumble. You know. Believe it, because he poured everything into it, man. I I was highly entertained by Bobby the Brain. Oh, Oh, gosh, yes, man. He's the only guy, in my opinion, is funnier than Jerry DeCane Lawler. All due respect to the king, there's only one brain, the the brain, Bobby the Brain. You know, but you know what's something, no, man, I want to talk about this, too, if you don't mind. Let me ask you this question, now. I've asked you to watch um, the shoot interview with uh, Sid Vicious on Hannibal TV, Great North Wrestling. Good plucks to you guys. I love you guys' podcast. I do a damn good job. Anyways, that being said, Sid tells a story about that night because he was one of the last three in there with Hogan and with Flair. You know, Sid, you know, keep this in mind. Hogan 190, Hogan 191. There's a good possibility he could win 92, right? I mean, Hulk May is running wild, right? Hulk Hogan's still the man. Hogan's going to get his uh, belt back, right? 
So Sid walks behind and then eliminates Hogan. Fairly now. I mean, it's every man for himself. He didn't break the rules. He didn't hit with a foreign object. He walks right behind, grabs Hogan, and throws him over the ropes. And Hogan's like, whoa, you just copied my bell. Hogan throwing a temper tantrum. Now, is he selling or is he really throwing a temper tantrum? I don't know. Then all of a sudden, Hogan grabs Sid's hand, right? And Ric Flair's help. You know, Hogan's pulling Sid, and Flair's eliminating Sid, and Ric Flair wins the title. Now, when Flair rolls out of the ring, Hogan and Sid's in the ring, you know, and referee to try to pull him apart. Now, I went back and looked at this match. After I heard what Sid said, I went back and looked at this match. Did you hear the boos? People were booing Hulk Hogan out the building. You know, they were cheering for Sid and booing Hogan. As and like Sid Sid Justice. When Sid Justice threw Hogan over the top rope, there was a great amount of cheers when he yeah. did it. And he got pulled over the top rope by Hogan and all the boos. And it wasn't directed toward Ric Flair because that became an afterthought at that point in time from that very moment, that very second. Yeah. yeah. It's and, like... And- Come on, but, but, Hogan. You're bigger than this. You're better than this. You know, you were square and clean. But hey, it gets worse, man. It gets worse. Sid, like I said, Sid tells a story. When Hogan gets to the back, he is screaming and crying and yelling at Vince. You did this to me. You caused this. You made them hate me. You made them pull me. You just ruined me, McMahon. This is all your fault. And says like, I have never seen a grown man cry like that in my entire life. At that moment, there, says like, you know what? I don't want to work with this company. I don't want to work, work with this guy. Uh, you know, he says just like, I'm done. You're going to sit there and throw a temper tantrum like this? You know, saying Vince sabotaged Hulk Hogan. So they would cheer me, then boo Hogan. And Hogan felt like, the whole Rusty Rush just turned on him and and Vince McMahon's idea, he allowed it to happen. You know. And think he just yeah. you know and they had and to then, flip the make it all right for Hulk Hogan. That's turned Sid Justice heel. So Hogan must pose at the he, end. They end up turning must pose. But here, you know, the funny thing about that, I know it all went up to Russell It was supposed to have been Hogan and Flair, but even at that more right then and there, I think. You know, Vince probably felt like the crowds weren't really buying it, the whole, you know, Flair and, you know, and the Hogan thing. Like I said, you know, the relationship was starting to strain a little bit, and I think Hogan was ready to walk. And Sid already says, I'm done, Vince. And Vince says, can you give me to WrestleMania a couple months away? So he says, okay, I'll, 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 I'll stay a couple more months. You know, and, of course, Sid would say later after meeting the Ultimate Warrior and having a match two with him, I was like, man, that guy's stupid. I ain't working with him. I'm done and, and quit altogether. But shout out to Russell Hogan and WrestleMania 8. And, you know, it was just one of those things, man. It's just you don't know what's going on behind the scenes sometimes. I just thought that was just a very, very interesting story. You know, you look back later on, you still look at Terry Bollea, the same, the same Hulk Hogan. You know, I mean, when you read his book and when you hear shoot interviews and you hear Hulk Hogan says, hey, brother, when I was a champion, it was a shoot, brother. Because if I got the belt, I'm making more money. I'm refining for my family. The heck with the next guy. I'm going to shoot and do whatever I got to do and stay on top. Clearly, in 1992, Hogan was not on top. You know, I mean, clearly. Let's see, man is going to pass the torch on to Ric Flair. Let's see what Flair can do. Let's see what Savage can do. And we'll give Brahar an opportunity later on that year. But damn it, man, 1992, it means almost like 
you know, what an embarrassment that was though, for Hogan to react that way. I mean, yeah, for, for what, almost a decade, you were the man. So why not pass the torch? Give somebody else a chance. It could be a big moment for Sid. But no. You know, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's one of those political fresh, issues, man. Go ahead. He, you know, fresh face for the company. He's already been an established good guy there for the company for a few months. You know, because I think yeah. he came in as a guest referee at SummerSlam, a match made in hell. And oh, then, yeah. And then we get the Royal Rumble. So, I mean, he still has that babyface good guy persona that the fans are getting behind. And then when he eliminates Hogan and it comes down to between him and Flair, you know, I mean, if Hogan wouldn't have did that stunt, how sweet would it have been to see maybe possibly, you know, Sid Justice being the, the guy to win the Royal Rumble to become World Wrestling Federation champion. But, you know, we already know that Ric Flair was going to walk out the champion. You know, that, that was already set. You know, but what should have happened, if you go by things, uh, uh, the next guy in line, since the championship was decided at the Royal Rumble event, the next guy in line should have been Sid Justice. It should have been Sid Justice versus the nature boy, Ric Flair. But we got the Macho Man. No disrespect for the Macho Man. He's probably one of the most underrated guys there. The only reason why I say underrated, he was very much foreshadowed by Hulk Hogan. And you, they could really tell WCW. But every time Macho would get a little rub, Hogan was right there. You know? Oh, oh, oh yeah. That's just, that just how business was, you know? But hey, man, let's get back to the room. I, I, got, I got a question for you now. What do you think was the luckiest number? In the Warrior Rumble, the luckiest, and obviously it's proven to be that the most winner. Out of all the Rumbles, out of all the Rumbles, I mean, yes, obviously, obviously, number sequence wise, thirty would probably have been the better peg than number sequence wise because it's the last guy out, but that's not the best number. It's usually twenty-seven. Number twenty-seven is usually the that number. That is correct because nineteen, nineteen, um. 1989, Big John Stone drew number 27. He wins the Warrior Rumble. 1993, Yokozuna drew number 27. He wins the Warrior Rumble. 1994, co-winners. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Bret Hart, co-winner of the Rumble. He drew 27, and he won it. Then years later, it was Steve Austin who drew 27. And um, I want to say 2001 era, but he drew 27, and he won the Warrior Rumble. You know, I mean, clearly 27 has been the hot ticket. More mm-hmm. guys have won twenty-seven than any of them. And I mean, a, some guys who threw thirty did win. You know, Triple you H know. won at number thirty. Undertaker's won at number thirty. You know, I mean, Tisa won at twenty-eight that one year. But like I said, you know, it is it, it is possible. You know, Jordan, John Cena, I think, one year at number thirty and won the Rumble. But at one point in time, at one point in time. You had more winners at the number one spot than you had at the number 30. And the number one spot was the worst spot to get. Geographically speaking, number one and number two are your worst two picks because you're starting to match off. You're starting to match off. You got to go through, you got to play the field, the entire field. You know, the two people had done it. 
Hey, hey, let me ask you this question before you before you go there. Okay, who was the first guy? Now keep now listen to the question carefully. Who was the first man in wrestling history to draw at number one and go all the way to the very end? When and when, or just yeah, make who, it to the? No, 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 no. Listen, what I said. Who was the first wrestler to draw number one and make it all the way to the very end? But my question to that question no, is: Did no, they no, win no, the world? No no no, 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 no. We all know. We all know who the first ever winner of the Royal Rumble was at Drew number one. I'm asking you this. Who was the first wrestler who drew number one and made it all the way to the end? The last one's in the ring. Oh, gosh. Okay, so we can go ahead and throw that guy out of the equation because he wasn't the first man to make it all the way to the end from the start. Um, no, no, no. He made it to the end. He made it to the end. He's the first, he, he drew number one and... He made it to the end. Now, we all know 1995, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, is known as the guy who drew number one and made it all the way and won it. But this guy here drew number one. This was unheard of at the time, right? He drew number one and lasted longer than Flair. Uh, you know, off by a few seconds, but because uh, Flair drew number three and won in 92. This guy, he drew number one, and he went all the way to the very, very, very end. He didn't win it. But he made it to the end before he got eliminated. British Bulldog? No. No? I don't think you're going to guess this one. Probably not. <laughs> His name was Bob Backlund. I watched this on live on pay-per-view when I was a kid. 1993 Royal Rumble, the year Yoko in a win. Because I'm like freaking out here. That's the thing. There's no way Bob Backlund's going to win this thing. I mean, they're trying to push, hey, you know, he's older. He's back into wrestling. He's trying to prove he still got it. He drew number one. Rick Fair drew number two, you know. And it was cool seeing these guys kind of for the first time ever in a long, long time, them two locked up, right? But Bob Backlund made it all the way to the end. And the last three in the ring was Macho Man Randy Savage, who drew, I think he drew, drew number 30 that year. Yokozuna drew number 27, right? But Bob Backlund, Macho Man was like down in the ring. He was practically almost done. And Bob Backlund, eyes so freaking big, and he's looking right at Yokozuna. They were the last ones in the ring. Bob Backlund, Macho Man, Yokozuna. And Bob was number one. Bob tried, man. He drop kick, drop kick, drop kick. Had Yoko on the road, tried to pick him up, just couldn't quite do it, man. And Yokozuna chopped him and threw him over the top rope. But Bob was number one. He made it to the very, very end of the Rumble. And that time for a 40-year-old man was unheard of at that time. 43, I think it was at the time, if I remember correctly. But anyways, still very impressive as far as cardio-wise. You know, that never happened before. You know, no. of course, we all know 1995, the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels. And the British Bulldog were first two in the ring. They were the last two to leave. You know, it kind of sucks. You know, I, mean, I know we, we talked about it earlier. You know, I, I kind of sucks how that happened. You know, on this particular night, you hear the it's, it's what's messed up. You see Sean going over, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. You kind of hear the bell ring signaling that it stops. You hear the man's music being played. He's already being announced. He's in the road celebrating. 
you think he's winning. And referee's like, oh, no, no, only one foot touch. One foot legitimately did touch. You know, and Sean Neal pushed himself back up and then hits Bulldog behind, Bulldog falls over. Then they ring the bell again, and Sean. Now, don't you think the Bulldog realistically would have an argument to say, wait a minute, y'all don't ring the bell. Y'all don't play my music. Y'all don't say I won the Rumble. I'm celebrating. You know, and also, did I get knocked out? Yes, oh, no, no, no. He only touched one foot. Y'all just freaking screwed me. I'm thinking I won the damn thing. Then I ring the bell. The ring at Harvard figure and said the winner of the Royal Rumble, the British Bulldog, you're playing my freaking entrance theme. You know, <laughs> I mean, come on. Can Sean what just attack Bulldog? You know, hey, step yeah. up for maybe possibility a little feud between now and, and WrestleMania. And all of a sudden, the bell rings again and it's re announced that Sean Michaels. Is now the winner of the Royal Rumble. Yeah, I mean, if I'm the British Bulldog, you want to talk about, you know, Bret Hart talked about how he got screwed. Did God, did David Boy fly? You know, I mean, I'm not mad at Sean. You know, Sean's foot, yeah, clearly, he only touched one foot. He's holding up a dear life. But what about the Rick who rang the bell? What about that guy who, who won the Royal Rumble? And the guy playing his music in the back. Boom. Why wouldn't Bulldog think he would have won? Don't you think you even had a, hey, hey, had something to complain about? And he still should have got a shot at Diesel at some point before Mania, maybe Mania. Maybe, hey, let's restart the match again. No, no, get Sean back in the ring. Let's start this thing over because this is BS. Y'all just freaking screwed me. Because Sean's going to be like, hey, 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 I want a fair and square. I mean, I mean, I just feel like I know, hey, I I know Bruce Pritchard would I'm say, I'm sure. I'm sure Bruce Pritchard would say, "Look, Bill, you're thinking too. You're thinking too much into this thing." Like, I dang it, Bruce, you're right. I am. But you know, if I'm the British Bulldog, I would be freaking raging, freaking hell. I know it's not the story you're trying to tell, but realistically, if it was Burr Hart not rolling, you guarantee you, Burr Hart would have said, "Uh, uh-uh. uh." <laughs> <laughs> and but guess hey, what? Hey. Shawn Michaels even, even better, right? <laughs> <laughs> But speaking of Bret Hart, now I want your honest opinion here, man. Okay, let's let's talk about the Royal Rumble the year before, nineteen ninety four. And I know I know we go, I can't talk on night by every single Rumble, but let's talk about this particular match because this was something not never happened before in nineteen ninety four. You know, Lex Luger could not challenge for the Robust Defensive Championship unless he wins the Royal Rumble nineteen ninety four. For Hart, former world champion, never got a rematch, never got an opportunity to get the belt back. He lost at WrestleMania 9. Hulk Hogan ran away from him, ran to WCW <laughs> or at Thunder in Paradise and wouldn't give you know an opportunity for Brett to face him for the title. Brett couldn't get a good rematch with Yokozuna. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Brett, you know, you know uh, was having a family feud situation going on with Owen, but Brett's still the man. Per Hart, 1993, King of the Ring winner. You know what I'm saying? So, naturally, it was almost like, who's going to win the Rumble this year in 1994? We saw some incredible matches on that same card, you know, not to mention Undertaker and Yokozuna in a casket match. Damn. But but this match right here in the Royal Rumble, the last guys in the ring, at that time, two big names were, say what you want to say about Lex Luger. And I know there are a lot of haters for Lex Luger, okay? But give the man his due. Here he is fighting Brett the Hitman Hart. Brett the Hitman Hart. Now, what you want to say about him was fight for his top spot. And it's almost like a popularity contest between the fans. You're cheering them or you're booing them, but you just don't know who you're pulling for. But, dude, at the same time, 
Talk about the skills it took this. Now, any kind of camera angle you can face it, it did look like Brett and Luger going up and over and hitting at the same time. Simultaneously hitting at the same time. You know, I must have went back, man, when I was a kid and rewind and play, rewind and play. Hell, I even did when I was older. Trying to look at any kind of angle. To me, it looked like Brett's butt might have hit first, but Luger's feet might have hit first. You know, it, it just, ugh. But my kind of opinion, I'm kind of leaning towards Brett, but it just looked like, yeah, boom, hit at the same time, man. What did you think about them being co-winners for the first time in Rumble history, man? Honestly, it was one of those that that, uh, that had never been done before, having co-winners. And uh-huh. now setting up for a double main event at WrestleMania because I was kind of curious if they were going to set up a triple threat match against Yokozuna. You know, that would have probably been what I would have been thinking. I was thinking at the time, but it's probably going to be a threat. You know, it's that never heard of a threat match that time. I would have done... I was thinking that, they were going to, I even heard DiBiase say this, that it's just going to be a match between Brett and Luger and the one that should face on Yokozuna. I was thinking, honestly, you know, I didn't know what was going on with the whole Owen Hart angle at the time. You know, you already saw Owen turn on his brother in the tag match earlier in the night. But personally, I thought you would have seen Brett Hart go one-on-one with Lex Luger at WrestleMania Tim. The winner would have faced Yokozuna on that same night. I thought they were going to go with that, but instead... My opinion, they did it better. Hell, a coin toss. Luger got the coin toss. So Luger's going to face Yokozuna first. Then Brahart is going to have to face his younger brother, Owen Hart, man, which was, wow, an amazing matchup those two had. But what if? Yeah, I'm always wondering. Well, Chris, well, 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 we'll talk about that when we do WrestleMania. But, you know, I thought that was kind of cool and how they did that, too. You know, but, but hey, man, it's kind of funny how, what was it, almost a decade later, Nine years later, I think it was, and or actually eleven years later, yeah, eleven years later in the two thousand five Warrior Rumble. Now, but my understanding, unless you tell me something different, my understanding, it wasn't supposed to happen like that with John Cena and Batista when they eliminated each other simultaneously yeah. at the same time. But I heard Batista was really supposed to win that one. But I heard Batista kind of slipped going a power bomb, and both those guys fell over, and just coincidental, both of them hit the same time. And and no right I went, he played that and watched that. I mean, it was like even though that was my pure accident, because it's like Batista slipped on a banana peel, you know, and they both. <laughs> over, but they landed feet down, everything at the exact same time in a thud. And of course, yeah, I was thinking, oh man, history's repeating itself. Alright, cool. I can and then here comes Vince McMahon. You can tell that he, he ain't playing. He's actually pissed. Lambert's <laughs> <laughs> Out of the ring because he really had up until this point, he had nothing to do with either Cena or Batista as far as confrontation wise, right? So it's like one of those this is out of the ordinary. And then what happens? He winds up hitting the ring and blows out both his quads and has to sit oh, down for man. me to yell at him at them to start the match oh. back. <laughs> <laughs> and at this point, while they're still arguing, they went ahead and played around a little bit. You had Cena throw Batista <laughs> over and then Batista gets back yeah. and Cena over and then the fact oh, the official the official freaking match restarts and Batista winds up getting the nod. <laughs> but you oh, know man. but John Cena still wound up going to Mania and winning the 
the WWE undisputed championship. They had, a, they had it. They had a terminal SmackDown, and Cena and Kurt Angle were the finals, and Cena ended up winning. They ended up taking on JBL, and Dave ended up taking on uh, Triple H. Very good WrestleMania 21, I might add. The ruthless aggression era, if you would, was was really uh, kicking off in high gear. Um, but you know, okay, you know. I don't want to bounce all over the place here, man. But you know, did you see? I want to set the record straight here. I know, okay, before we set the record straight, I think you have a different opinion than I do. The 1997 Warrior Rumble. Do you consider Steve Austin the winner of that Rumble? Well, I know he was eliminated, right? But you know as well as I do, WWE don't go by a replay rule. You know, it wasn't called out there, you know, but I've seen, uh, but the next argument would be, I know that it's been done before. They've rolled the tapes back and say that didn't happen. Restart the match or whatever else, you know, which later turned into the fatal four way. But honestly, the match was called as Stone Cold Steve Austin winning that match because none of the referees down there saw him get eliminated and counting him as eliminated. He rolled back into the ring and continued fighting. So, I mean, was he eliminated? You best believe it, but he is still the winner of Royal Rumble here. All I'm going to say is screw you, F you, hell no. I don't give a rat's ass what you got to say or anybody else who wants to sit there and say it. My number 706-832-8762. Come give me a call. I'll slap you in the damn face. I'm going to tell, like, like tell you like it is like it is right now. Gorilla Monsoon was the president of the World Wrestling Federation. Yes or no? Yes. Yes, he was. Did a Gorilla Monsoon get here and says if he thinks – for one second, that that tainted so-called victory is going to earn him a shot at WrestleMania? No, he did not. Steve Austin was clearly eliminated. So I'm going to put the four guys back in there because it was the same freaking rules of a Royal Rumble. The last four in that ring was Vader, Undertaker, Bret Hart, and Steve Austin. Okay, Austin was eliminated. Yeah, the referee was trying to pull funk and mankind apart with the freaking do. Okay, they should be doing their freaking job. But clearly, clearly, Steve Austin was eliminated. Don't care what you say. Gorilla Monsoon, the president of the World Wrestling Federation, saw what happened. And he made it right, ordered all four guys to get back in the ring and restart the match. And who won that final four? Brett, the Hitman Hart. Who eliminated Stone Cold Steve Austin? Brett, the Hitman Hart. So in my opinion... The survivor of pain, the wrestling encyclopedia that knows wrestling, will always know that the winner of the 1997 Bret the Hitman Hart won the Royal Rumble 1997. I don't care what the freaking happened that night in Texas. Whip the freaking dude. Steve Austin was eliminated. He gets back in the ring, throws his bread out. Boom, boom, and then eliminated Vader and the Undertaker from behind, who also shouldn't have been in the ring. There's no question there. He never should have been in the ring. He was eliminated. Okay, the ref didn't see it. Yes, I know there's no such thing as an instant replay rule, but Gorilla Monsoon, the law and order of the World Wrestling Federation, he saw it, and he did something about it. Good for you, Gorilla. You're a Hall of Fame in my book. You're a fair man. You made it right. And Steve Austin on that night, couldn't get the job done. He was the first 
first guy in the building that night, and he was the first guy eliminated by the hands of the excellence of execution. Brett the Hitman Hart, and then, yes, and even he eliminated the Undertaker. Bret Hart became a four-time World Wrestling Federation champion, and he celebrated for 23 hours later, and he lost in the psycho <laughs> At the hands of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin. <laughs> bottom line, Stone Cold. And that's the bottom line. He got Stone Cold. <laughs> I hit you ass in the head with a chair and cost me your belt. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Kyle. Jokes aside, yeah. Technically, on a technicality, because of the Fatal Four, Bret Hart won the Fatal Four match. But don't call Steve Austin for the Rumble. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. It don't uh, matter. Bret Hart only yeah. had it for yeah. It set up a good feud between him and Austin. So yeah, <laughs> thirteen was a classic, man. I mean, I love the whole. I mean, see, here's the thing, man. Between '96 and '97, Brett and Steve Austin had one hell of a war. I mean, let's just face it, man. From the survivor, the, the, the entire time Steve Austin was calling out Brett from the Survivor Series '96, going into the Royal Rumble '97, you know, classic competition right there. I mean, let's talk about the '97 Royal Rumble. Steve Austin was eliminating every guy he had pretty much a decent match with the prior year. Okay, including Jake the Snake, including Savio Vega. I think he eliminated almost six or seven people you know, nonstop. I mean, he was kind of funny. He's sitting on the top turnbuckle and looking at Steve Austin watch, waiting on the next guy to come out in the ring. And when Brian's music played, oh crap, you know, and Brett got drink. Yeah, it was it was on, man. It was on, man. It was awesome. You know, but you know. Like I said, man, they had an incredible story going all the way at WrestleMania 13 from that angle, man. I mean, Brett and Austin, in my opinion, was, was a hot angle. was way hotter than Hogan and Piper at the time, which I'm not taking nothing away from those guys, and we'll talk about that another day. But, you know, like I said, man, classic confrontation because you don't know what you're going to see when you're seeing certain opponents in the ring, which some of my music comes out, oh, my God, you go find see so-and-so fight so-and-so, you know, you know, get a tease of it, man. Ease of it, you know, and it, it was just, you know, hey, speaking of a tease, we're, we're talking about Dave Batista winning the 2005 Rumble. Hey, how about this funniest flair moment, you know, when Ric Flair's in the ring with Batista and he's not fine, Dave. Oh, yeah, Dave. Woo, yeah, yeah. Raise his head, all of flair, trying to grab his head, trying to throw him over. And Dave stopped on his track. Oh! <laughs> it wasn't being fair to flair at all. That's not being fair to flair. <laughs> Hey, uh, I'm supposed to throw you over the top rope. You go over the top rope. <laughs> he was telling Dave to go ahead and get back to the back and get the bags together. I mean, how dare he disrespect a veteran of the business like that? I'm just fucking around. That was funny as shit. He come in, help play. Woo, woo, hey, yeah, buddy, woo, woo, woo. Oh no. No, no. See, it ain't like that, Batista. No, Dave. It's okay, Dave. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
That was funny, man. I really enjoyed 2005 Royal Rumble, man. That's probably one of my favorite rumbles, man. It really, really was, all honesty. You know, speaking of favorite rumbles, man, I mean, I know me and you, and we just got both got both of us got done watching Dark Sides in the Ring. We got to talk about this before we go out. Chris Benoit entered number one in 04, the second guy to do it, going all the way 63 minutes or 62 minutes against 29 other guys. And him and the Big Show were the last two in the ring. I mean, how is someone like do what now? And the last two guys in the ring, him and the Big Show. Yeah, man. I mean, here he, to me, the reason why I always enjoy Chris Benoit because he made the matches look so freaking real, and it was realistically. You know, you didn't see Chris Benoit just drop down, throw the rope down, so the Big Show just took up all over. No, there's so Big many show. other people. Probably uh, done. Yeah, some people have done that, you know. Benoit, you know, Big Show picked up Benoit, tossed him out, and, and Benoit put him in a guillotine choke and just held on. And when his weight feet was trying to go in down that, that second rope and just holding on and holding on and holding, holding and trying to pull and pull and pull. And Big Show slowly, slowly, almost like a DDT suplex position. And Bishop slowly rolls out while he's being choked out by the guillotine choke by the by the Canadian crippler Chris Benoit. Man, I mean, it, it was beautifully done, man. When Benoit won that Rumble, and not to mention in two thousand and four, you know, some were probably banking Goldberg was probably going to win it. I mean, there were other you know, Kurt Angle had already uh, dedicated that match to the troops overseas, and usually when you hear someone make a dedication like that, and usually pull them out and win. I mean, it, it was kind of hard to pick. Although, yeah, you you kind of sense Benoit might get in his day. You might see Benoit and Brock Lesnar, but you know, but yeah, Benoit, yeah, he did end up eliminating them, man. He he survived to the end and. You know, and eliminate the big show, you know, which is really cool. And then everyone thinking you're going to see Benoit and Lesnar at WrestleMania because they were in the feud at the time. You remember, it was, you know, Team Angle and Benoit versus Team Brock Lesnar at the time. All the big heavyweights and you get the technical wrestlers, you know. And you were seeing Benoit putting Brock in the Crippler crossface. You're seeing Brock tap out. You know, so you're thinking, yeah, you're going to see an incredible battle between Benoit and Lesnar. And instead... <laughs> You see Benoit show up on Raw. I love it when Steve Austin says, Shawn Michaels, you wrestled one hell of a match, but you did not win the Royal Rumble. So right now, I'd like to introduce the 2004 Royal Rumble winner to this ring. And like, what? It's SmackDown's Benoit! You know, and, and Chris got in the ring, you know, for over 18 years. I fought to be the best. It took me 62 minutes to beat 29 men. You know, and on that night, I will fulfill my destiny. I will be the next world heavyweight champion. You know, dude, it's it's moments like that that made the Royal Rumble so freaking special. Because I know it all, you know, we mentioned 1993. It all started in 1993. If you win the Rumble, you're going to WrestleMania and you're going to face the champ. And let's face it, nine times out of ten, very few people won the Rumble did not, you know, walked out with a champion. Not so many didn't, you know, but, you know, Benoit, I mean, you know, yeah, the odds were against him. The odds of him being Triple H and HBK were very, very slim, but Benoit did it, man. And despite what happened years later, man, you know, I don't even want, I don't even want to talk about it, but, you know, at that moment was so freaking special, WrestleMania 20. And I know we're going to talk about that in long form later, but let's keep in mind. It all started at the Royal Rumble when Benoit won that match, man. Golly. Mm. 
You can talk about special moments and stuff like that. Now, we can go on and on all night. We've got plenty of Royal Rumbles and, and moments and stuff like that. But here, here, here we're going to narrow it down the search here a little bit. We've had some surprise entrants, some debuts that you didn't see coming that happened at the Royal Rumble. The you countdown be going on, and all of a sudden, and then somebody you least expect comes out. You know, the first thing that comes to mind for me was Big Daddy Cool Diesel, the return of Diesel, you know, after everything, you know, hearing Diesel's music hit, the old freaking trucker horn go off, and Kevin Nash comes out there, puts on that black glove one more time as Diesel, Big Daddy Cool, and raises that arm up. Yeah, boy, I love that. Another surprise entrance uh, was Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. Oh, uh, 2000 and, uh, 2000 and, uh, hold on a second, Jay, 2002. I remember he came out that night because he had Steve Austin and Triple H were left two in the ring. They were fighting. And Jerry DeKinlana kept saying, hey, don't sell out yet. We still got some other big names that come, come out of this ring, you know. And, you know, it, it was Austin and Hunter. Austin and Hunter were fighting. And then, boom, boom, Mr. Perfect Music played it. Dude, he had one hell of a showing. Uh, I even, the, the market me, enjoy watching when Kurt Angle got in the ring that night. Enjoy watching Kurt Angle, Mr. Perfect, go toe-to-toe a little bit. That was pretty cool, man. Yeah, I, I, I had to be interrupted here, but 2002, when Perfect came out in the ring, man, that was beautiful. We'll continue. Oh, man. We also seen the debut of AJ Styles in the okay. WWF. I mean... He was there before when he was trying to get a start, but not to the point of this version of AJ Styles. I have been all over the world, have won championships all over the world, became a name everywhere else, and now it's time to make a name on the grand stage of WWF, WWE in this yeah, point in time. Yeah, it's just a question about AJ Styles. Do you know the rumored indie window, the rumored indie window, if you would, a lot of W officials were worried and nervous that man, no one's not gonna know idea who AJ is. Are you freaking kidding me? But don't underestimate all the other wrestling promotions out there, all the wrestling tour. People know who the phenomenal AJ style is, you stupid mother whoever that said that. But yeah, there were some W officials were nervous and worried that no one's not gonna know who AJ was. Like, you know what? When he when his music right the crowd let him know who exactly who he is. I, I mean, seriously. Even though it didn't show him actually walk out because they're too busy looking at Roman Reigns, you know. Oh but I didn't recognize the music because, I mean, hell, he last I heard was uh, the, the TNA, you know, theme song, Get Ready to Fly, you know. I mean, that song didn't hit, so it's like, okay, what's this Yep Yep song? And you see Roman Reigns like he's doing a thousand yard stare trying to pick who the hell is this? And the crowd erupts. And then when they finally pan over, it's AJ Styles. Whew. Yeah, nobody knows who AJ Styles is. You know, there is other promotions out there besides World Wrestling Entertainment. You have TNA Impact. You have freaking Lucha yeah. Underground. Um, you have Ring of Honor. I mean, you have yeah. I, New Japan and People watch wrestling. If they can't get it on their cable or their satellite, they'll they'll watch it on YouTube. 
you know, wrestling is more connected now than it was back in the 80s and 90s when you didn't have access to this stuff unless someone just so happened to get a tape from Japan or whatever else said, hey, brother, you need to watch this, you know, and watch this guy, you know. You don't. You don't have to worry about that now. Everything's at the at your fingertips now. You can go on and look and watch. You know, I follow a lot of wrestlers that that are no longer in WWF that go over to Japan and watch their work. You know, um, but that's just crazy. Oh, nobody. Uh, I'm nervous. I don't. Nobody's gonna know who AJ Styles is. It's gonna flop. It's gonna flop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It well, flopped. Uh, Hey, speaking of whatever, what about the time you mentioned Kevin Angelo? What about when Diamond Dallas Page? Man. Bang! Yo, it's the bang! Bada bing, bada boom, bada bang! You know, that, that's a Diamond Dallas Page I'm always going to love forever, man. I mean, screw that damn stalker you make you try to do, or even that positive, even the positive attitude DDP was okay. Yeah, but me, the Diamond Dallas Page, the people's champion, and he is the people's champion. You know, everything he's done with DDP Yoga and some of the great things he's done for a lot of hundreds of people, you know, thousands and maybe. It's completely like Jake the Snake and Sky Hall and help them get back on, on the straights and get them yeah. back. To- and, and you just see, you just see Diamond Dallas Page, you know, doing the best of Nitros on a three DVD set, which is really, really cool. And then he got he got his just reward and getting one more one more rub in the WWE. He came out to the Royal Rumble that year, and that was pretty. Oh, that was pretty epic too, man. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Ray Mysterio coming back. Um, that one year is Rob Van Dam. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Hey hey, what about this one now? This is to me this is unheard of. Okay, I, I know one or two might try to do it. I know Kurt Angle went down with a surprise entry in 2005 when he wasn't even when he was supposed to be in the Rumble. He ended up beating somebody up in the back and taking his number from him. And then, <laughs> but anyway, I'm sorry. I just remember how he did it. That was, oh, God. Anyways, 1998 Warrior Rumble, right? Now, tell me if you thought this was really screwed up. I mean, damn, if Mick Foley would have won that night, I was like, okay, God, come on, Mick. You couldn't win. You had three chances to win it. Three chances to win it. As Mankind, Cactus Jack, and Do Love, but you still couldn't pull it off. <laughs> now, my question is this. What if, because I can't remember who the first one was out there, but either way, let's just say for the argument's sake, because I can't remember, Say Dude well, Love was the last. Dude Love was the last one. You know? Okay, for our sake, we'll say Mankind was the first one out. I can't remember which. Yeah. It don't matter. Yeah. But what if that other entry? By the time it was coming up, he was still in the ring. How would that work? Would he- <laughs> I don't know. And also, do love play takes his cat in his check shot. Now we wow, do love, you know, and he's t- <laughs> that would have been funny. <laughs> oh man, hey man, wait, okay, I, I know we're getting close to the end of the show here. Warrior Rumble, 
What year was your favorite Warrior? Warrior? You, you've seen over 30 of them, right? What's your favorite Rumble match? That is very tough. Um, as far as the winner or just the overall performance, the overall match. Let's, let's just say the match itself. The overall match itself, regardless who won, that you really, really, you said that, but you were so, man, you loved them. You loved the, the, the match itself. The match, okay. I've enjoyed a good many of them. There's some not so much, but if we're going to stick with the males, because the males have the majority of the Royal Rumbles, um, I would have to probably go down and say it has to be the one Ric Flair won the WWF title. That was the one I was on pins and needles praying that he wouldn't win, and he won. You know, I was there, hook, line, and sinker, watching it. Eyes glued, you know, praying that Bobby has that meltdown when Flair gets mm-hmm. tossed over the top rope. You know, I was in tune to it. And when it came down to the three, Hogan, Sid, and Flair, I knew Flair was done. <laughs> you know, but I have to say, though, you know, as a kid, you know, I was mad as hell, but I was glued. I was glued to that rumble. It did its job. I was highly entertained. I enjoyed, like I said, I enjoyed Bobby the Brain Heenan always having a conniption when, when things wouldn't go on Flair's way because nobody was being fair to Flair. <laughs> I mean, the whole nine yards, I'd have to say that was probably my favorite Royal Rumble match. You know... You you hit it on the button when you said you know it's so hard to tell because you know every time I watch the Rumble match itself, I mean you're on the edge of your seat if you're not jumping up and down because like I said, some Rumble matches I, I will admit are very 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 predictable who, who's going to win. You know, some you thought for sure was going to win, and you know I was like, damn, I was wrong on that one. You know what I'm saying? Um, golly, you know. There's two of them I gotta talk about the most, only because of the hype. I really enjoyed the hype, you know. And, and, and as a kid growing up, I really, really enjoyed the 1990 Warrior Rumble, the one with Hulk Hogan, uh, alone and Mr. Perfect, and you know the whole match itself was a tremendous one. But the one I, was, I mentioned to a second ago about where I really enjoyed the hype of this Rumble because you, you know. You had a lot of you had a lot of favorites who couldn't win, you know, and especially when it really started saying the road to WrestleMania begins tonight, and I, I'm gonna put you like this, my friend. I mean, from you look at the 2001 Warrior Rumble, you know, the year uh, Austin won, but at the time The Rock was hotter than a firecracker, you know. Just like Steve Austin. Undertaker or Kane could have easily won that. Matter of fact, that year, Kane eliminated 11 superstars, broke Hulk Hogan's record of eliminating nine. You know, I mean, Kane was on fire, the big red machine. You know, Rakishi was known as the man who eliminated. I mean, I mean, Rakishi was the man who ran down Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there are a lot of, you know, tough competitors in that match and I really appreciate the drama in that one you know I know some people are going to hit me over the head for saying this one but the rumble in 2003 was phenomenal man 
I mean, even the last two guys in the ring, Undertaker and Brock Lesnar. Now, the reason why I jumped up, yelled and screamed and went ballistic when Brock Lesnar won was because, to me, I was going to get my dream match, you know, of that of that George Hackett Smith and Frank Gosh style match. Two of the best grapplers, two of the best shooters. And I'm talking about Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar, because you knew that was going to happen at WrestleMania 19. 04 was special. 05 was special. Hell, even 06 with Young Ray dedicated to Eddie Guerrero, you know, when he won it. I mean, God, you know, the, 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 the pinpoint on one is just so, so hard. But, you know, if I had to pick on one where I, um, I got mostly involved in it, man. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, it was one of the greatest days of my life when I was at that age. And I, I still think about my fondest memories. And I got to say, the 1994, you know, Royal Rumble, and not just the fact I was a Pearl Hart fan back then, but it was more like I was going through some um, trauma in my life at the time. And I was a young teenager at the time. I think I was 13, 14 at the time, 1994. And I was, I was going through a lot in my life. And a friend of mine invited me to his house. And, you know, they had pizza. They had drinks and cookies. And it was just, we had a good time watching the Royal Rumble 1994. Really enjoyed the casket match between Undertaker and Yokozuna. Even enjoyed Brent Owen against the Quebecers. And, and, and Razor Ramon versus IRS for the Intercontinental title. You know, but that Rumble match itself, it was so, it was so exciting. You know, it was my first good look at Diesel when you're like, he was a seven foot monster, you know, and he was the way he was beating people, you know, when, when, the, when the Macho Man music played, he got in the ring, Savage took his head off, jumped in the ring, just went right at Diesel. I just remember we were all into that moment right there, and, you know, and when Brett, you know, leaped out there, got in there and just was fighting like crazy. Lex Luger was fighting like crazy, seeing Brett and Luger go at it, you know, it was, it was special because I was there with my, I was there with my friends. And it was just something I desperately needed at the time. You know, I was, uh, like I said before, people know this about me. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm a suicide survivor, you know. And having a moment like that, I held on to for years and years later. And I go back to, I go back to, um, you know, coming back from Afghanistan and, and then sitting there on, on the phone with you when we were watching the 2005 Royal Rumble match. Granted, it was on DVD, but you know, couldn't watch it on pay per view at the time. But when it first came out, I got it, and I remember sitting with you, and we were watching. You know, the whole situation. We were going back, and we were laughing like crazy. I've missed man tearing both his quads. The whole situation between Cena and Batista, and then that whole night was awesome. You know, Randy Orton and Triple H for the world title, and then you had uh, Kurt Angle, JBL, Big Show, Triple Threat for the WWE title. Man, all that was man was just God. And I think watching Royal Rumble matches like that is more special than the Super Bowl. I mean, and it's like the Super Bowl of wrestling, in my opinion, because it brings friends and family together and, and enjoy an incredible, athletic, um, spectacular event. You know, And to me, Royal Rumble, in my opinion, is just as important, if not more important, than WrestleMania because the show itself is so entertaining and it's so hard to predict who's going to win. Because, yeah, some years, I'll admit it, you know, yeah, this guy's going to win. Hands down, this guy's going to win. And sometimes, hell, he might get surprised. Randy Orton might win, you know. 
<laughs> you know, what about the year Batista came back? We all thought Roman Reigns was going to win. We thought Roman should have won. The fans should have thought Roman should win, right? But what happened? Dave Batista ended up winning. He gets booed out of the building. And it was, what's funny about that, the following year, okay, fans, get what you want. Roman Reigns won. <laughs> fans booed him out of the building. No, we won him last year, not this year. <laughs> That's not being fair to Roman. <laughs> That's not being fair to Roman, yeah. <laughs> I just don't have the same ring to it as fair to Flair, is it? Oh man. Hey, you know, you know what's cool? You know, I, I know I know we're almost out of time here. We need to wrap it up here. But hey man, let me ask you this question. You know, the Royal Rumble event itself, like I said, with which is tremendous Royal Rumble matches itself. But what about some of the championship matches that were defended? at the Rumble were still very, very awesome. I mean, uh, I, we can't forget about John Cena versus AJ Styles. Hey, what about the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, which says the only difference is one second. And that one second you're here, that one second, boom, sweet chin music, when he challenged Triple H for the world title last man standing. <clears throat> Goosebumps on that one. You know, I, mean, I was geared for that one. Or, hey, to me, the greatest championship match that ever took, and this is my opinion, folks, the greatest championship match that ever took place at a Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble 2000. I'm surprised we didn't talk about this one. You know, we're, come on, Hunter, I really won that match. I got video proof, you know. And the Rock said, I've got proof of you being a moron. Here it is. I mean, come on, that shit was hilarious. But what about Cactus Jack? The return of Cactus Jack, the one bad son of a bitch. Where Mankind says, the one thing I am not, Triple H, is ready to face you in a world championship title match at the Royal Rumble. But I think I hold off to the WWF fans. As a matter of fact, go ahead and name him right now. I think you know the guy. And he takes his shirt off. And now look on Triple H's face. But I think you know him pretty damn well. His name is Cactus Jack. Oh, my God. And the look on Hunter's face. And look on my face. Dude, even I felt chills. Cactus Jack, the man for, for, for making thumbtacks famous. You know, the man who fought in exposing barbed wire matches. I mean, he's a historic king of the Japan death matches. Cactus Jack, one more time, is going to be challenging Purple H. And it's for the World Wrestling Federation Championship at Madison Square Garden. That's got history there, man. That's got freaking history there. And this wasn't like your normal kind of straight fight kind of match because these guys told a story. These two guys, Jay, were on a mission to fight to become number one in the business. But let's face it, Steve Voss was on the shelf. He's out with neck surgery, okay? Yeah, The Rock was in the rumble. So these two guys will have to freaking draw the fans in for a special match. And these both guys have something to prove. Triple H was trying to establish his legacy. Katniss Jack was trying to defend his, and they were going to lay it all on the line. It was the greatest fight, greatest fight in the history of all Royal Rumble, World Wrestling Federation Championship matches. In my opinion, this night, it was special. It was bloody. It was gory. It was chair shot, chair shot, handcuffs, hip toss, slam on a pallet with Triple H got his leg stabbed in the kneecap. 
I think, well, the Sabbath thing I think was my board sticking out. I mean, Triple H bled his blood stained Madison Square Guard. And yes, unfortunately, Triple H got the pedigree and he's still pinning Katniss Jack, but Katniss Jack was one less standard that night, Hunter. I mean, my God, man. But you know what, though, Jay? That was that match right there where uh, Triple H showed me something that night. He was willing to go. I was not a really a big, big fan. I thought Triple H was a wussy, sissy, bodybuilding kind of type, whatever. I want to be tough guy if you would. But on that night right there, he won me over. That that was the match for Triple H. Hunter Hearst Helmsley won my respect. That night, he became the game, in, in my opinion. I really started looking at Triple H differently after that match. Dude, you got to admit, he took one hell of a beat from Cactus Jack. That he That's did. That he did, but you can't talk about great matches without this one either. That also happened at the Royal Rumble, and this is where we're going to leave off at. Okay. I know he's a popular guy to talk about, but we're going to talk about it because this is WLW. We love wrestling. We love wrestling. Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle. God almighty. Mm. Where Chris Benoit lost but got a standing ovation after the match was over with. That's something that really don't happen a whole hell of a lot. That night, Chris Benoit earned the respect, probably not only of the fans that was there in attendance, but probably even the people in the back said, hey, this is going to be our next guy coming up. Dude, I stood up that night and clapped. I was uh, at a USO center on Camp Machine, North Carolina, watching with, with seven Marines around a big screen, you know. Dude, so guess how cool it was back then. Five bucks, right? Five bucks, get you all the pizza, all the chips, all the soda, all the other drinks you had there. Man, it was awesome. It was so cool they did that for us. Like, thanks a lot, Bruce, for getting rid of all that for us. Apparently, nobody gets winning on these pay-per-view parties, and they were trying to put a stop to it. But this time frame, it was allowed. And then we were all there watching it, man. And 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 a lot of us was stood up that day, and we, we were clapping for Chris Benoit. But it was a great wrestling match, a back and forth, counter for counter, pin pin. I mean, you're seeing the Cripper crossface, Peter versus to the ankle lock, then the ankle lock, Peter versus back to the crossface. And any given moment, either one was in a virtual tapping, reverse, reverse. But finally, Kurt got a hold of that, and great bonded, and great bonded. Benoit, nowhere else to go. But then he finally tapped, man. But you, you fell for Benoit because, man, he was he was he wrestled his heart out. And give props to Kurt Angle, man. He can he wrestled his heart out. I mean, I think Kurt was no slack. Kurt Benoit has some of the best shoot technical wrestling matches I've ever seen in the WWE. You know, I mean, Kurt can have a great match with almost anybody, but you know, when you have two great workers like that. You know, and you and, and if you follow Benoit's career, you see Benoit clash with the likes of William Regal, Chris Jericho, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, and had that same type of style match earlier that uh, year prior, two thousand two. I saw a great war he had with Rob Van Dam, and then you had a great and technical battle with uh, Kurt and Benoit on 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 a, on a tag team now taking on Edge and Rey Mysterio, and then even Eddie Guerrero and Chava Guerrero. Great series of matches, and you see Benoit and Angle one on one. I mean, that was just two years prior for they had a match at WrestleMania 17, which is very, very impressive. Kurt very, very uh, early into the business, but at this point, Kurt and Benoit were wrestling machines. 
And in my opinion, it's something you don't see a whole lot of in, uh, in today's wrestling. You know, where you're you're expecting a right and you're getting left, 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 uppercut, uppercut, back and forth, back and forth. I mean, you're just so into the match, man. You just, oh my god, like you're on, you're on this roller coaster ride. When it's all said and done, you're just like, wow, damn, what a match, you know. My yeah, my heads out to both those guys. Uh, 2003 Royal Rumble, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, tremendous match. I think the standing ovation was for Kurt Angle too, you know. But you know Benoit, like I said, appreciation for his athletic building. And, and and I'll be honest with you, man, I haven't seen that since uh, a WCW pay per view, Great American Bash 1996, when Ray Mysterio Jr. and Dean had a very similar kind of type of match, and then. Both guys got a standing ovation when it was over. And I saw that again, like, like I said, 2003. Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle. Great matchup, man. Congratulations to both guys in that match. And it's still talked about to this day. You know? You're absolutely right about that, brother. But here we go. We're at the end of our road here tonight, and we're just getting started. We're just getting started with this podcast because it's the wrestling podcast right here on TMB Studios. Next week, we're going to have something brand new to talk about. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the topic. The topic is, are you ready for this Survivor of Pain? Bring it. Spartacus and Polka Dots. Spartacus and Polka Dots? Hey, I got a great idea here, Kevin Sullivan. Hey, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to shave Flair's head a little bit, take the back of his hair a little bit. We're going to put an earring in his ear, and, and we'll give him a shield. And, yeah, we'll call him Spartacus. Oh, yeah, big man's in trouble now. <laughs> okay, Dusty. Come here, man. Man, 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 but I, I, I don't know about this year, baby. I, I, don't, I don't know about this year, baby. Oh, come on, Dusty. If anybody can get over it's you. Ha-ha! <laughs> polka dots, polka dots. Hey, throw us your money here. We're bringing Dustin Rhodes in. And guess what Guess what the rib is? We're going to put his ass in polka dots. Yeah, dude. Do, do you guys get what we're saying? Two promoters, two different promotions, and, and, and some of these crazy gimmicks that were being tossed around on some of the legends. Of, can you imagine if that had really happened? And we're, we're going to dive into that. About how the Jim Hurd, the pizza guy, from Pizza Hut, Executive Pizza Hut, was going to run a national wrestling promotion, WCW, you know, that's going to make the legend himself, Nature Boy Ric Flair, cut his hair, put an earring in, give him a shield, and he'll be a glider called Spartacus. And Vince McMahon wanted to make fun of the three-time NWA world champion, the booker from the NWA of the Jim Crockett promotion, and probably Florida Championship Wrestling as well, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. But, you know, there's some other boxing gimmicks we're probably going to talk about as well. But looking forward to this one, man. Polka dots and spargus. I can't wait to shoot on this one, man. Good topic, by the way. <laughs> well, that's next week. But until then, stay tuned right here on TMB Studios because you're going to get a fresh episode of The Shootout starring Bill Blanchard and your co-host, yours truly. We have a couple of people on the lineup. You know, we're, we're not slowing down. We're picking up speed, brother. You're going to hear our voices each week, twice a week. Heck, and if things get really tough, it'll be three times a week. Who knows? The only thing we get is, is one road and it's straight ahead. One-way ticket. So get ready, keep your seat belt launched, locked in real good and tight, and both hands on the steering wheel because we're about to take this road.
we're going to head on down it. And speaking of going down this road, y'all be safe out there with all this coronavirus stuff going on. If you're essential, please stay safe. If you're non-essential, please stay your ass at home unless you have to go out for groceries or doctors or anything like that. But until next time, for the survivor of pain, Bill Blanchard, I am your host, Christian Fury, and we are signing off because we love wrestling. And as a matter of fact, I'm thinking about watching some wrestling right now before bed. Y'all stay safe. Yeah, you do that, Tori Wilson. It stays secure the boss of pain, my brother. Hey, hey, hey. We're keeping it rumble. We're keeping it rumble. Just because I'm going to watch you ladies rumble doesn't mean anything, all right? <laughs> hey, hey. Ric Flair's daughter, Charlotte, won this year. Okay, I'm going back to watch it. Woo! <laughs> I love it.